This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. And welcome, everybody, to a brand new edition of Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you're having a terrific Saturday so far and make it a good one. And as always, we're coming to you live from the beautiful 103.7 The Game studios. Hopefully you're having a great Saturday afternoon, however you're listening to us. We appreciate you any way that you're listening to us. Interesting. We got a lot of different ways. Of course, we got the old school FM dial, the Tower of Power, too sweet to be sour. You can hit us up through there. The free mobile app for iPhone and Android. Make sure you download that bad boy. We got all kinds of great stuff going on with that thing. Again, it's absolutely free. Just search 1037 the game. And heck, even if you're one of those people that likes to use your smart speakers, we got you covered there as well. With Amazon Echo, Google Home. You can listen to us that way as well. So hopefully you listen to us, and we appreciate it. Because, hell, it's a wonderful day in the neighborhood. Yes, it's not nearly the same as what it normally is this time of year. I said it on Ben Show this week. I'm very much apathetic about LSU Bama. I'll talk about that later. I'll talk about that later. But if you want to talk about that after this opening segment, the Twin Peaks hotline is open. 337-706-0111, College football getting underway right now. I got a little Texas-Kansas State going on in the background. Hopefully, Urban Meyer, oh, excuse me, Tom Herman can avoid the axe because the rumor in your window is coming in hot and heavy about that. But I'll save that for a little bit later because it's time. Oh, it is time to take a look back at the second round of the postseason for high school football right now with what I like to call the fastest three minutes in all of Sports Talk. We start in district, in Class 5A, excuse me, I keep wanting to say district, but it's Class 5A action. The Acadiana High Wrecking Rams get it done, beating East Ascension 42-14. A dominant performance from the Rams as expected. They're continuing to kind of be like Drake. And go back to back. Go back to back. Acadiana beating East Ascension 42 to 14. Mandeville, number eight. Mandeville taking down the Live High Mighty Lions. Tough break for those Lions. A great season coming to an abrupt halt, losing 31 to 8. Just a, I gotta say, great season for those Mighty Lions. But again, Came up just a little bit short. Now Mandeville will take on Acadia and give you some more second-round matchup, third-round matchups in a little bit. We get to the Barry taking on the Zachary Broncos out of the frying pan and into the fire for those Yellow Jackets. 
and they got trounced 34 to 7. Then we go to Class 4A, the number one ranked Carragher Golden Bears after a week off, missing out on week on round one, I should say, due to COVID-19 concerns with their opponent. They rolled past DeRitter. They looked like they didn't have a whole lot of ring rust on them. 42-7 to victory over DeRitter. Westgate taking on Neville. And this was a really fun matchup on paper in and of itself because you just didn't know how things were going to go for Westgate, especially against a team like Neville. And Neville advanced 53-34 to win over the Westgate Tigers. Eunice beats Bell Chase 35-zip. Jennings edges out Lutcher. Trevor Achan, the brother of Travis Achan, really proving himself worthy here. 50-49 to win. Church Point beats Bruley 22-0 in 3A action. St. Martinville beating Green Oaks 35-20. Rose Pine loses to Lauraville 41-18. Kinder takes down Avoyles. 28 to 22. Centerville ekes out a win against Oberlin 42 to 40 in double overtime. One hell of a ball game in Class 1A. We'll jump it over to Division 2 action. There's no Acadian Air teams in Division 1, so we jump over there. De La Salle takes care of business and staves off the Turlings Rebels 28 to 17. And those St. Thomas More Cougars, it wasn't a typical matchup from what I've seen in the past from this program. It wasn't a complete route. It was a shutout, 35 nothing. But for a good bit of that ball game, it was very close and very, very competitive. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see how this team looks after this week. Because that's really where we're at. How does this team look after this contest because they hadn't played in three weeks so you know that had a lot to do with maybe the team being a little lackadaisical not able to kind of get your full practice a lot of the practices in so hopefully things are all good after that division three action the greenies of Isidore Newman took care of business against the Catholic High and New Iberia Panthers beating them 14 to 7 tough break for Catholic High and New Iberia LCA Holds off Ascension Episcopal 14 to 12. Oh, brother, that was a hell of a ball game. And LCA lives to fight another day. Meanwhile, Ascension Episcopal Notre Dame was another barn burner. And this time, Notre Dame burned it down 43 to 14 win over Ascension Episcopal. And then we jump over to D- Division 4. Vermilion Catholic advances to the next round. With a 33-20 victory over Riverside Academy. That's all we got in terms of the Acadiana area teams. Round two in the books. But let's look at the quarterfinal matchups for those non-select schools. We'll get to those semifinal matchups in a little bit. Start off. Acadiana, Mandeville, one versus eight. Relative chalk on the top quadrant of this one. As we get to the quarterfinals. Destrahan. Takes is going to be taking on Rust to Destrahan. Wins 20-10 to over Dutchtown. Rust takes care of business against 4-seed Ponchatoula. A mild upset, 13 upset in the 4. So Destrahan Rustin is going to be a lot of fun. Then we get to Zachary, the Broncos, who beat New Iberia 34-7. Going to be taking on Alexandria, who beat Houghton 38-6. Then we get to the final quarter, final matchup. 
And this one is going to be fun. Not necessarily what you'd expect in terms of a West Monroe team sitting at the 10 seed, but they'll be taking on number 18, East St. John, who upset John Arrett 19-7. So East St. John getting it done, and now they'll be taking on the West Monroe Rebels. One hell of a start to your Class 5A playoffs as we near the Dome. Looking at the quarterfinals, Carriker are going to be hosting Plaquemine. It's weird, the fact that their first-round matchup is still considered to be a home game, but they'll be getting ready, possibly hitting the road to travel, take on the winner of Minden Neville. Just depends how that whole thing goes. But Plaquemine beat Huntington 42-14. to Speaking of Neville, Neville, as I mentioned, beat Westgate. Minden took down the Wampus Cats of Leesville, one of my favorite team names of all time. And it'll be Minden Neville in that other matchup in that quadrant. Then we get to Tioga beat North DeSoto last night, 27-20. And they will be taking on, i try to get the final score because the bracket has not updated at this time. As to be the contest between Land, be Landry Walker. If I can hit the right button on my computer. Okay, that's going to be going on today. Landry Walker Warren East is going to be going on later today. So we'll find out who the winner is. And that winner takes on the three seed, Tioga. Bell Chase lost to uh, Eunice. Uh, excuse me, Eunice shut out Bell Chase. Eunice going to be taking on the number two seed, Edna Carr, who eked out a win over, excuse me, they whipped up on Edna, on Istrama 70 to 19, dropping a 70 burger on them, Cats. Then I mentioned Jennings eking out a win over Lutcher. Jennings going to be taking on Madison Prep, who beat up on Donaldsonville last night, 41 to 18. St. James, 28 to 7 win over Sterlington. They'll be taking on those Church Point Bears. That's going to be a lot of fun. Four versus five seed. And then we get to a couple matches going on later today. In fact, at 12 o'clock league, Charles College Prep taking on South Beauregard at noon at Westlake. And then at 3 o'clock, Southeastern is going to be the site of Gina Jewel Sumner. And the other quarterfinal matchup that's already been determined is Green Oaks, excuse me, St. Martinville. You can take on Union Parish, who beat Booker T. Washington yesterday 53-21. Then we get to Amy, going to be hosting Manny. Manny, who won by forfeit through the first two rounds. So they, they're, they're well-rested, but hopefully... They don't have to knock off too much ring rust. They'll be taking on an Amy team who took care of business. 33-7 victors over Red River. Then we got North Caddo and General Trask. General Trask came away with the win, 56-54. Pound the over on that contest. And they'll be taking on St. Helena, who beat Bunky, 14-7. Then it's Lauraville taking on Kinder. That is going to be one heck of a ball game. Lorville won 41-18 over Rose Pine. And then we got Faraday losing to Port Allen last night, 22-20. They'll be taking on Mangum, who pulled off pretty decent-sized upset over the Kentwood Kangaroos. The Kentwood Kangaroos were the 18 seed, but still, that's a damn good team. That's always been a contender in Class 2A, so Mangum advances with a 33-27 win. Oak Grove... Logan's Port in Class 1A going to be that top matchup, a 1 versus 8 seed. It's relatively chalk throughout this tournament with White Castle taking on Homer. 
That's be next. That's be on the eleventh at seven o'clock at White Castle. Grand Lake Centerville, the other quarterfinal matchup of Class 1A. East Iberville taking on Haynesville. Division 1, Brother Morton, Calvin High, Baton Rouge. In one semifinal, the other semifinal, John Curtis, C.E. Bird. As expected, that's going to be a lot of fun to see how this thing turns out. It's been interesting to see what happens in Division 1. Division 2, you had De La Salle taking on E.D. White. And University Lab, UI going to be taking on St. Thomas More in the semifinals. Can we see the fighting Jordy Holtbergs take on the fighting Danny Joneses? We shall see. That'll be in a couple weeks' time during the Louisiana Prep Classic from December 26th through the 28th. Then we have the other side of this bracket. The Greenies of Newman going to be taking on the LCA Knights. That is going to be a tough ball game, to say the least. Probably the most must-watch game everybody's looking forward to. And I, I'm not necessarily sure, but I think that that would be a game at LCA's home field because LCA has not played a game at home unless they count that LCA bye week. I don't know. But anyways, Notre Dame going to be taking on St. Charles. St. Charles beat Dunham 31-7. to And then in Division Four, Vermilion Catholic going to be taking on Wachita Christian. Hunter Herring, a Cajuns commit leading the way. Hell, he's playing a little defense last night. For Watchdog Christian, two-way player. You can't wait to see what he does for the Raging Cajuns. Then we get to Calvary Baptist taking on Southern Lab in the other Division Four matchup in the semis. Definitely a lot of fun to get to here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game, 103.7 thegamecom as well as everything going on with our Delta Media family of stations. And now there are three. I mentioned Vermilion Catholic. That's going to be our Vermilion Parish game of the week because they're literally the only team left taking on the three-seeded Watchdog Christian in the Division Four State Semifinals. So best of luck to them next week. More importantly, best of luck to the Cameron Golden Bears, the number one seed, getting ready to square off with a big one against Plaquemine. And, of course, the SCM Cougars right here on 103.7 The Game. You'll hear Cameron Crow on Z1059. They'll be taking on U-High. That is just always a tough game to really pick. But hopefully we get to see some things pop off down the line. But now, I'm going to take a quick timeout because I spent a lot of time just breaking down some of those matchups over the next couple weeks. I'm going to take a quick timeout. But when we come back, we are talking about it. We are talking about what happened last night on the college football gridiron because I've got a lot of thoughts. I'll talk about that next. You're listening Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. He may be considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay off me, I'm starving. Now back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing, so be it through that free 1037 The Game mobile app, Amazon Echo, smart speakers, the adult school FM dial. Appreciate it, however you're doing, so coming to you live from the 1037 Game Studios. A lot of things to get to on this Saturday afternoon, and I think we need to start off 
in terms of the actual stuff that happened in the world of sports and going into this weekend, we need to talk about it. We need to talk about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns and their it's a it's a big win, don't get me wrong. But I've got some I've got some thoughts. And I was saying this to Ray last night, I was saying this to a bunch of other people. What the hell happened at the end of that game last night? That was absolutely the most infuriating thing I have ever seen. And I still don't understand all that happened. Because I wasn't able to watch like the entire thing. Because I was here inside the game studios taking care of business with the STM football game. So I was kind of keeping an eye on things, watching through StatCast. But just seeing how everything went down, I was absolutely like livid at how things went. Especially in the final moments of that contest. I'll give all the credit to the world to that Cajun's defense. The Cajun's defense may be the best thing about 2020. And that's saying a lot considering the fact that 2020, for the most part, has been an absolute bleep show. But this team and their defense was on another level last night. Three turnovers. And usually when you have three turnovers, you're able to come away with a big win. And that's exactly what happened. And the fact that the Cajuns took advantage of of all but one of those turnovers, it turned it into points. And I'm saying turnovers as in fumbles and interceptions. They had a turnover on downs. I don't count that. And that was late in the game. That also almost cost you the ball game. I'll talk about that in a minute. But here's what happened last night that had me. And I, just, I'm not going to hate on a player individually, especially somebody like a long snapper. In that kind of situation, somebody that's probably been doing a bang-up job all year long and is playing in an absolute you know, dump of a field, and it's not throwing shade at the rock, it's actual facts that stayed at that field was absolute garbage all night long. I think that made you seriously consider what's going to happen with this game. And you saw that from the first drive. Cajuns don't get a darn thing done. And that opening drive, they have to punt it. They, they don't get much done. They punt it away, and then it's a high snap, and that leads to a touchdown early on. That It was a touchdown, then called back, and then they scored just a little bit later with a three-minute drive. And then the Cages have to punt again, and then you have a field goal that misses. And it was just like, what is going on here? Why? Are, what are we doing? And we're just sitting here, like, okay, this is this is not how you want wanted to get things done. If you're the cages, then they start to fight back. But this was something that infuriated me. And I'll, I'm gonna just run you through the play by play of the Cajuns' last true drive. And I'm I'm wanting to kind of like understand this. So the Cajuns had the ball with 2:09 left on the clock. They got the ball after a big turnover on downs. Frog Gardner, Chauncey Manek probably the MVPs of this team in 2020. You run the ball for one yard. App State calls a timeout. This is coming from the play-by-play, according to Stat Broadcast. Then you have Levi Lewis run for seven yards. It's a third and two. You have a passing complete. Why was there not like a run play put in that situation? I don't understand, but whatever. The Cajuns call a timeout with a minute 51 left to come up with a play. And if you nail this, in my mind, you have a chance to secure the back. Now, yes, the Cajuns were at their own 35. You don't want to give a team a short field position, 
but at the same time, you have every chance, and I mean every chance, to secure a win and, and run off the clock from this point forward because you can have them call a timeout after that first down that you have. On fourth and two, why wasn't there a run play or something else to get a first down in this damn thing? Like, you don't have to worry about kicking it off from your own 20-yard line after a safety, a intentional safety. I have never seen anything like that before, or I hope I never see it again. Because this was, without a doubt, probably the play that would have cost you the game. It didn't. But my God, it was frustrating to see the way this thing went down. I cannot stand seeing that kind of stuff be put out on the field. I was watching some of the highlights this morning, and I once I saw the team safety, after, again, it made sense after everything that they went through with the long snapper. He's had another one that did the same thing. There's a lot of different things you could have done. You could have had Levi Lewis punt the football. You could have had Levi Lewis punt it. Or, hell, put put the punter in shotgun and have him just quick kick it. That probably would have been a better situation. That would probably be a better scenario than taking an intentional safety to make a three-point ball game with about a minute, some minute 51 or so, minute 46, I should say, left on the clock. I still don't understand what the, what the strategy was in that. Maybe we'll find out someday. But that almost cost you a ball game that you were in control of until the fourth quarter. That was a game that you should have wound up winning by a lot more than three, and it would have been a lot more definitive. And I think that would have bumped you up a little bit more in the rankings in terms of the AP, the coaches pulling. What matters the most these days, the college football playoff rankings. I think this team is still going to be 25 in next Tuesday's rankings, and there's going to be a lot of butthurt about it. Trust me, I know there's going to be a lot of butthurt about it on Tuesday when those rankings come out, but that's just the way I see it right here, right now. This is coming from a guy who supported the Cajuns, has been a fan of the Cajuns, has covered the Cajuns for a long time. I can say, without without a doubt, they're still number 25 in my book in the college football playoff rankings that drop on Tuesday. Let's go out to the Twin Peaks hotline, 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Morning, hey, what's going on? Listen, uh, let me help you out with the play-by-play. The Cajuns didn't call a timeout. This, this was – App State had three timeouts left. Ran the ball, timeout, yep. App State. Levi Lewis ran the ball, timeout, App State. It has one left, and it's third and two. And for whatever ungodly reason – UL decided to throw a play act, you know, try to catch him napping and do a little fake play action, slip the back out of the backfield, and they covered it perfectly, and they had to throw the ball away. So, in effect, it's third and two, and you got arguably one of the best running teams in the country, and you've been dashing, and you throw the ball. So, you, two things happen. You don't run the football, which you get a first down, game over, and you Throw the football, which stops the clock and gives them an extra timeout, which they used yeah. at the end of the game to take a. Sh- you still there? Looks like we lost our caller, but again, I, I just feel like that it was just I. I was running through the play-by-play. It was the fact that App State called two or their three timeouts. They still had one left. They could have called if they didn't call that timeout. 
if they had called a timeout after that incompletion, that would give the, the Cajuns a chance to just run the football, get the first down, and call it a day. That's where my problem is with the way that game ended, was the fact that they did not try and get that first down just to call it a day. Because I think they had every chance to do so. They had been absolutely running them ragged all day long. You look at the Cajuns, what they did on the ground. They did pretty damn well with Elijah Mitchell, Levi Lewis, even had 77 yards rushing. Elijah Mitchell almost hit their century mark. Then you also have Trey Regis, who was used more. I'd say he was almost like a Jerome Bettis, like in his peak, where he was like used largely as like, like out of two or three yards, almost like a fullback, because he wound up getting stuff that mattered in terms of those touchdown runs, two touchdowns on the day on the ground, and also got one receiving on an eight-yard touchdown, which was absolutely immaculate. But overall, I am very much just frustrated with the way the Cajuns game ended. Am I happy the Cajuns got the win? Oh, yes, 100%, because I said it on the shows all week long. I said it yesterday. I was not sure. I've been thinking about the last two weeks, because obviously UL Monroe, I knew it was going to be a win, didn't realize it was going to be that bad of a mud hole stomping and a hobnail boot up their backside, but I knew what the end result was going to be. I'm sitting here right now telling you. That was, without a doubt, one of the most frustrating endings to a ball game. And I'm like, I know Kevin's going to talk about this a lot on Monday, but it's frustrating to me that I saw a Cajuns team try and do something entirely different, and I could not just comprehend all that was going on in that ball game. You had an intentional safety. I think that's the one thing that I'm just going to continue to talk about. Why take an intentional safety? And I, I was thinking about it last night on Twitter. And I was saying immediately, I think that play alone, if South Carolina was watching, South Carolina probably says, and eh, maybe we'll, 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 we'll think about this a little bit more. Because I think if the Cages had won by a decent amount on national TV, taking on App State and beating a team they had not beaten in eight attempts, mind you, they played each other six times in the last three years, which is weird to think about. Excuse me, they played each other five times in the last three years because the last two years they've played in the Sun Belt title game. Meanwhile, Texas up 10 nothing early on. Texas looking good against Kansas State. I'd say a must-win game for Tom Herman in my book, but who knows. Anyways, so the Cajuns have to get it done against Coastal Carolina, who's taking on BYU later today in the most marquee matchup of the week. And that's saying something, considering the fact that every other week we're talking about LSU-Alabama being that marquee matchup, that main event. Hell, any other week in any other year, Cajuns App State would be the main event. But Coastal Carolina, BYU in Conway, that's the main event. That's the game everybody's talking about. Now, does it mean, and, and I'm just going to say it right now, and I'm probably going to like absolutely ruffle the feathers of everybody who's a Cajuns fan here. I'm going to ruffle the feathers, and I'm going to just say it. These people were like, oh, Cajuns beat App State. You know, what if they? What if Coastal beats BYU and, Co- and Cajuns beat Coastal in two weeks' time at the Sun Belt title game? With all due respect to the Cajuns, with all due respect, if you think that this 
is going to result in you some, getting into the playoff, it's like Vince McMahon. No chance in hell. You've got, at best, a New Year's Six Bowl. But here's the thing. All the other teams that are going to be on the outside looking into the college football playoff, Cincinnati, BYU, those teams probably are going to get a lot better shake than you. So at the end of the day, you might still be stuck in that mid-tier bowl game. And that's okay. That's fine. Because here's the thing. You can't control the fact that, you know, you lost to Coastal Carolina. And honestly, the Coastal Carolina win, if you beat them twice, probably wouldn't mean as much as beating them once because of the fact they could be undefeated heading into that ball game. Coastal Carolina, at best, is probably a top 12 team in the college football playoff polls heading into the SBC title game. I'm just pretty much stating facts right about now. I am just absolutely tired. I don't mean tired of hearing that that fan base thinking, oh, hey, we're going to get to the New Year's Six Bowl or, or, or the playoff. There's no way in the current construct of the college football playoff a power five, a group of five team is getting into the playoff. There's no way. Zero shot. You have a better shot of seeing BYU, if they beat Coastal, of making the CFP, then a Coastal Carolina, then a UL, then a UCF, then a Houston, then a Cincinnati. There's no way in this current construct. If it's an 18 playoff, absolutely they have a chance. But right now, not just no, but hell no. You have a chance, but it's a very outside chance of making it to a New Year's Six Bowl. Very unlikely. And if you win the Sun Belt title again, congratulations. You won it. You finally did the thing that you've been trying to do for the last three years and reach the mountaintop and win the 10 pounds of gold. That is the Sun Belt championship title belt that they have, which is really cool, by the way. But I cannot wholeheartedly endorse the Cajuns winning the Sun Belt title and going to a New Year's Six Bowl. Very unlikely. Best case scenario, New Orleans Bowl, Camellia Bowl, Lending Tree Bowl. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. I'm sorry if that upsets you, but it just feels like that's where they're going to be because of the fact they got so many other teams, so many other programs that can be deserved of being in that primetime slot of a New Year's Six Bowl. As we get to a New Year's Six Bowl, because who knows how this whole COVID-19 stuff is going to ruin the state of college football. But that's where I'm at. Cajuns have an outside shot of making a New Year's Six Bowl, which I think is what they're hoping for. But there's a difference between hope and reality. I live in the construct of reality. I basically, and I guess just how I'm wired is prepare for the worst and hope for the best. I'm always preparing for that worst case scenario. And the worst case scenario right now is the Cajuns making it to a New Orleans Bowl again, which would be fine. If only, you know, Latoya Cantrell would allow fans in the stands because we know probably in the next week or so, Latoya's going to be like, now nah, we're going back to phase one. We're going to go ahead and, and do our thing our way and we'll move on. And there'll be no fans around for that game or any other Saints game this year. But that's a different conversation 
for a different day. All right, it's under the dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Hopefully I didn't rustle, ruffle too many feathers. We've got LSU Bama to talk about, and we'll get to that next begrudgingly. Back after this on 1037 The Game at 1037thegame.com. Even in these trying times, the world-famous CD follows the simple words of Matthew McConaughey. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. So let's kick back and enjoy Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. One more thing about the Cajuns. I saw this pop up. Matt Zenitz put this up this morning. Louisiana is now 20-3 in its last 23 games under Billy Napier and set for his third straight Sunbelt Conference game appearance. And he goes on to mention, before he was hired, Louisiana hadn't posted a winning season since 2014, hadn't played any conference title game since 2013. I can understand the first half of that sentence because you had 2015 was the year whenever you had everything kind of fall apart with the program because of the allegations that wound up turning into sanctions for the Cages program due to some recruiting violations. The team just absolutely laid an egg. Then 2016, you had the whole, you know, Anthony Jennings situation, and then you had them go 6-6 six and six and barely limp into a bowl game against Southern Miss where they got their head chopped off by future San Francisco 49ers quarterback Nick Mullins, who has looked like adequate, I'll just say that, adequate enough to be a quarterback in the league. But the fact he said hadn't played in a conference title game since 2013. Now, now technically, you know, you could say back in the day, 2013, that was a conference title game. Like, that, like, technically speaking. But in all due respect, there hasn't been a conference title game until Mitt Napier took over, like a true conference title game. It's, it's back before 2018 when Napier came over. They did not have a conference title game. It was basically the best overall record. That's how it was, in case you forgot. So it's, it's like half right, half wrong. But I have to say, I, I love the fact that what the Cajuns are doing. They're moving on up in the world, and it's great. Meanwhile, the LSU Tigers are towards the bottom of the barrel in Louisiana teams this year, and it's amazing. Like, I saw this pop up during the Florida Network's broadcast. I saw this graphic, and trust me, I saw it a lot from the Cajuns fans. It is the fact that the Cajuns have the best record in all of Louisiana. I think, like, right behind them is the Tulane, La Tech, LSU and the lowliest of the low, the winless, and probably going to continue to be winless because they have barely enough players to play up against your boys, Arkansas State later today. So you got that going for you, which is nice. But let's talk about those LSU Tigers for a little bit because I've got some pointed thoughts about that program and where that thing's going. What has it become? It's become the dumpster fire, and it's pretty much become the Auburn team after Cam Newton left. And it definitely has a lot of similarities. Because you go look back at that team that LSU that Auburn had 
with Cam Newton. He transferred over from Florida after the whole thing with the laptop and whatnot. He joins that program and immediately wins the national title, leaves, becomes the number one draft pick, becomes an MVP, and then he absolutely kind of starts laying an egg with the Panthers after an injury, after injury, after injury, then joins the New England Patriots, and we all know what's happened since with that program. We all know how that whole thing's going. It's not been great. But at the same time, that's where LSU is. And the fact that they've lost four they lost fourteen players to the NFL draft. Fourteen of them. That is an incredibly high number of players that they lost in the NFL draft. Then you have players opt out. And then you have players like Terrace Marshall. And this is not not meant in terms of shade, but it's factual. Gave up on the team. And we can look at a lot of other programs in the past. We can look at Ohio State the year after they won the national title and they had all those players disappear during one of the most notable games of all time in national title history. That 2014 went eight and four, relatively mediocre by their standards, four and four in the Big Ten. Auburn was just an absolute mess in that 2011 season after Cam Newton left because Cam Newton absolutely just demolished opponents left, right, and sideways when it came right down to it. You were eight and five, and the next year they fell apart. Three and nine, Gene Chizik out the door. They fired him. And then they took over with him. Uh, I think it was Malzon right after that. Yeah, brought him over from Arkansas State. But I've been just thinking about this. Is LSU Alabama tonight on CBS going to be the lowest point in LSU history over the last 30 years, 20 years? I'd say definitely in the last 10 years. And it's amazing that we're sitting here and we're just wondering what's going on with this LSU program. How did we go from a national championship to being the bottom barrel, bottom feeding team that is the LSU LSU Tigers? Because those Tigers aren't the Tigers we saw last year dominating teams left and right. And there's a lot of different reasons. I talked about it. All those players opt out. But it feels like there's something more. It feels like this team just doesn't have the cohesion. And everybody's been asking, is it a culture problem? And Coach O's like, no, we got a, we got a good culture. We got all these good things going for us. We got, we got the future is bright for us. We're building a championship team. Here's the thing, Coach. I think you say this every year. You're building a championship team. You're doing all these fantastic, great, wonderful things just to make sure that people are keeping quiet, making sure that you are appeasing that fan base and appeasing, appeasing those boosters, I should say. Appeasing those boosters. But I'm just sitting here, and I'm wondering, what is going on with LSU? And I think I have an idea. I think it's the fact that LSU, as I mentioned before, does not have alphas, does not have that true alpha on both sides of the football, because it's not just one. It's multiple alphas. 
And I think you've got Coach O being laissez-faire because, let's be honest, he won a national title. He did what he said he was going to do in three years. He did exactly what he was going to do. But here's the thing. I want to know what was inside that binder. Because I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like the binder had a three-year plan, and that was it. A three-year plan, and they did nothing after that. Because you, you remember, and this isn't an indoctrination on Miles Brennan and LSU. This isn't a, a, a damnation of a guy like T.J. Finley who has stepped his game up whenever the, he's, this team's needed the most. This is a almost an indoctrination of the way college football is. There's no transfer quarterback on this team. You focus on getting a transfer, a couple guys like a, like a Jabril Cox, that's great. But I don't see a single guy on that roster right here, right now, in the year of our Lord 2020, that I can say outright is that alpha dog. Derek Stingley Jr. doesn't be an alpha in that way. He's been underwhelming this year, and he's been considered some of the, one of the best players to come out of this area in a good while. He needs to prove it. There's a lot of guys out there that need to do that. And there's no way in hell you're going to wind up winning. You Good luck trying to cover. You haven't been able to score at home against Alabama since 2014. That's almost two presidents ago, Jack. That's a problem. That's an absolute problem. What are you going to do? Hopefully you don't fold up tent and we see all these other players opt out tomorrow. Hopefully we don't see Ed Ingram opt out tomorrow during the Saints game. Because I think that's what's going to happen. We're going to see more of these players. I say opt out because that's the PC term, but they quit. They gave up. They took their ball. They went home. They did all those things that you hate to see. And that's what's frustrating to me because now we see him. There was a Texas offensive lineman earlier this week that opted out too. There is an issue. And it's going to continue to be a dangerous precedent that we're setting. Who's to say that post-2020, unless the NCAA finally gets the chutzpah to do something about it, we don't see this happen over and again, and all these players decide to opt out because, oh, wait, halfway through the season, we got enough film. We're going to do well in the NFL draft. We've shown our stuff. My age is on the phone with me telling me, hey, we're going to get you that first-round pick, buddy. Go ahead, opt out of the season now. Who's to say that we don't see more of this quitting culture? And that's not just an LSU thing. I think it's going to be a nationwide thing. Me and Ben talked about that a lot earlier this week, and we've all talked about it. But I think we're going to continue to see more of these players taking their ball, going home because of the fact they have enough film. At the bottom bottom line is this. If you quit on your team, I think that should look bad on your draft profile. Let's go out to the Twin Peaks hotline real quick. What's going on? Hey, uh, CD, this is Will, man. Hey, Will. Uh, listen, uh, about the LSU situation, I think it's all about the winning culture, man. I think I think they've lost it. And I think they need to find it, find it back real quick because, uh, you know, I mean, you know, we can't go through another season like this, man, uh, with people opting out and yep. the team not knowing what they, what they're doing from week to week on defense, that type of thing, man. I, I, 
can't do it, can't do it, man. And I think, I think it, uh, if we have another season like this, you know, Ed Ogeron's going to be, going to be in, uh, you know, in the hot seat, man. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to hang up and see what you, see what you think about, uh, Ed Ogeron's situation. All right, I'll get to the Ed Ogeron situation. I'm going to hit that question when we come back because I'm running out of time, but I've got some very pointed thoughts about Ogeron's future. If we see this thing continue to go the way that it is, I've got some thoughts. Appreciate the call, Will. Back after this on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Keep it locked. I'll give you my thoughts on Ed Ogeron and what his future looks like next. Sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but under the dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station 1037, the game. All right, welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 1037. The game, CD with you as per the huge. Getting ready to wrap up hour number one. So let's get out to the Twin Peaks hotline. i got another call before I get to some of my thoughts on Ed Ozer. Maybe I'll save that to start hour number two, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's see who's going on the Twin Peaks hotline. What's going on? Um, concerning the St. Thomas Moore football game last night, I was able to see it streaming. But I have friends that would like to see it again. I was wondering if it will be shown on TV in a replay any time today. Do you know how or when or where? I have n- I have no earthly idea. I know that was on a VSN. I don't know if they have like a, on a VOD feature, video on demand feature, or what have you. I, know, I don't think it was on TV as far as I know, but I, I'd, I'd have to check out VSN to figure it out. Yeah. Okay, I was just wondering. Hey, man, thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. All right, well, that, that was... That was interesting. So yeah, that, that's how our one's gonna end, people. You know, sometimes you just gotta, sometimes you just gotta call in and have a take. Don't suck. I don't mind answering questions, but you know, save that for maybe like a little hit up on our Facebook or Twitter. Follow us over there, facebook.com slash one zero three seven the game, and on Twitter, just search at one zero three seven the game. But yeah, I'll talk about Coach O and his future next, right here on Acadia and a Sports Station one zero three seven the game one zero three seven the game dot com. Back after this. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 1037, the game. And welcome back under the dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 1037, the game, and 1037thegame.com. Man, this Twin Peaks hotline blowing up a little bit more than usual. I'm not complaining about it. It's LSU Bama Day, even though it's not exactly the same kind of stakes. The stakes aren't quite as high as last year's game, with all due respect. Let's see who we got on the Twin Peaks hotline. Hello, you're under the dome to start off hour two. Okay, I'm a... Whatever. 
a mystery dial tone. I think I might know who that is. I think I might know who that person was that did not want to talk on the program. Like that may have been TV's Dylan. Maybe he's probably not even listening, but who knows? But anyways, I want to get to my thoughts on Coach O right now. But again, appreciate you listening. And hope you're having a great Saturday. Make it a great one. Under the dome with CD on one of three seventy. Appreciate you listening in through the FM dial, the free mobile app, smart speakers, Amazon Alexa, Google Home. But now we'll, we'll try again. And if I don't get one, I'm just going to go right into my sermon uninterrupted. What's going on? You're on, under the dome with CD. Hey, he is T. Hey, T. What's going on, brother? You, you, your, your phone dropped on us just then. No, that wasn't me, man. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering. It was it was quick, so I didn't know what was going on. T, how you doing? I'm doing great. And you? I'm doing I'm doing good. You know, obviously, Cajuns won, but it was definitely not the way I expected the game to go. It's LSU Bama Day, not necessarily as hyped up as I was last year, the last couple, but it still has it still has a little bit of like intrigue to it. What about you? Okay, here's my question for you and the rest of your callers that are going to call in. What if LSU beats Bama? Does Bama still get in the playoffs? That's my question. And I'll hang up and listen. You know I love your show, my man. T, I appreciate it, man. And here's the thing. If LSU somehow, some way, pulls off the upset of all upsets, because this is, and I'm trying to think about it, like what I would, as you many, many of you know, I have a podcast called the Cajun Strong Style Podcast that I can't wait to do on Monday, by the way. Spoiler it's probably going to be one of my favorite episodes of all time because so much cool stuff has happened in wrestling in the last week. I'm going to talk about that. But in terms of upsets, this would be on the level of 1-2-3 kid beating Razor Ramon. This would be on the level of Barry Horowitz actually getting a win in the WWF. This would be that if it happens. I think their chances of getting into the playoff drastically go down. But here's the thing. Alabama still has two more games left to play. They've got that game on December 19th. And if they still win the West, then we can talk about it. Then we can talk about Alabama-Florida being first by the college football playoff. Because I don't think we're going to see two SEC teams if Alabama somehow loses this ballgame. And I'm saying it. There's... Like, you, you say if, T. If ifs were fifths, we'd all be drunk, my friend. That's where we're at right now. I don't think it's going to happen, but I appreciate the hypothetical. I'm not necessarily sure it's going to happen, but if it does, it drastically goes down, but they still have a really good shot. Because even if they lose that game, I think they have a chance to win the West. That's the thing. They still have a chance to win the West, go to Atlanta, and win an SEC title game against Florida, and then a one-loss Alabama team gets in to the playoff. That's where I'm at right now. If they lose to Florida in the SEC title game, then yeah, they're out of the playoff. No questions asked. Because there's no way in hell a two-loss team in the SEC is getting in over another program. I just feel like that's the way we're that's where we're at right now. But now I'm going to go ahead and get to what I wanted to talk about because everybody's been kind of just, it's almost like I, the, I'm the i almost getting to the point and I got to get a call. This time we're going to go completely uninterrupted with my thoughts 
on Ed Ogeron right now with this edition of the Saturday Sports Sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. Who testified? It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. Had a caller ask earlier about if LSU has a, se- has a similar season to this year. Next season, what happens? Coach O on the hot seat? I don't think Coach O is on the hot seat next year if the- a similar season happens. He's gone in my book. Because I think that with this, with those investigations that have come out, with everything else going on at LSU, there is no doubt in my mind that in 2021, if Ed Ozra has a bad season like this, I'm not saying he gets like he has only three wins in the year. No, if you fall below 500 and miss out on a bowl game in 2021, if we're able to still have bowl games the way they were constructed before this pandemic where bowls are being canceled left and right, if this happens, Ed Ozron joins Gene Chizik as a coach that it is one shining moment and then disappeared off the face of the planet. And then we see who's next. And I'd like to think that maybe that next guy is Billy Napier. That probably would absolutely rub all the wrong way of the Cajuns fans, but here's the thing. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. If Napier doesn't get a job at South Carolina or anywhere else that's like worth his time. That's the key word here. Worth his time. Can he jump from UL to South Carolina? Possibility. But who's to say that if everything kind of goes the way where LSU underwhelms next season? Because trust me, LSU has had not had a losing season in a long time. I'm going to go ahead and pull it up. The last time LSU football had a losing season. And it's, like stained. it's been a while since that happened. I'm going to go ahead and go. We're going, we're going all the way back in the day. And this is going to be 4-7, 1998, 3-8 in 1999. That was the last time LSU, at the end of the Jerry DiNardo era, actually went below 500. And it was two straight sub-500 seasons after bringing that team back to prominence after the Curly Harlman era where all he did was go sub-500 with 5-6, and 2-9, and 5-6, 4-7. He turned that program around but couldn't sustain it. It was about a three-year love affair after the first season, 7-4-1, and one, with an Independence Bowl game then a 10-win season, a 9-win season, then things fell off the brakes. It was about a three-year love affair, then things started to get sour. If you go two sub-500 years in 2020, it don't matter what you did. If you were number one in the AP poll, you won the national title two years ago. It doesn't matter now versus what it mattered maybe 10, 15 years ago. Because we are, as a society these days, and I think everybody can agree with me here, we are a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type of society. You look at different programs and teams across this great world of ours. 
If you ain't winning at a clip that we want you to win, you're out of here, Buster. That's where we're at in society. It's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type of world. And in college football, it's even more evident. For instance, I talk about Texas. The Texas Longhorns, 31-10 leading Kansas State. And maybe, just maybe, even then, the fate of Tom Herman may very well be sealed. Because he ain't winning enough. He ain't winning enough. Case in point, to a lot of other teams... I mean, look back at Les Miles. Look back at the Les Miles era at LSU. He did not have a single losing season. But because of the fact that he could not beat Alabama, because of the fact he would not change things, he got fired. And he had probably one of the best records amongst coaches in LSU history. That tells me that no matter what you do, if you can't get the job done against the big dogs... If you can't get the job done against Alabama, Florida, Texas A&M, you can't get the job done, good luck, God bless. Seriously, Ed Ogeron has done really well in his first few years at LSU, 9-4, 10-3, But if he can't turn this thing back around in 2021, after having, I'd say, at best, a four and six year he's gone I love Coach O but I think his time may be running out because I think that binder was a three year plan and there was no other plan there was no sustainability plan it was just follow this plan for three years and we'll see what happens I think that Ed Ogeron may be on the doorstep of being on the hot seat in 2021 and it's a controversial hot take but I think that's where we're at. Ed Ogeron has not proven to me, probably hasn't proven to a whole lot of people, that he is worth the money that they've paid him. Because this year. I don't know this year has been unusual, but here's the thing. You've only lost a couple, uh, like three players. It's not like you lost half your team to opt-outs or COVID-19 or what have you. You lost a bunch of players in the draft. You knew that. But how can you not be prepared enough to get this team to where they need to be, to sustain that program, to be still be the elite. The beginning of the year, you lost to KJ Costello and a Mississippi State team that hasn't had a damn thing since in year one under Mike Leach, the Pirate. You lost to that team. You lost to a Mizzou team that, yes, has exceeded expectations, but it's a Mizzou team. The only team that you beat that you should have beaten was the Vanderbilt Commodores. And you beat them, but they still made it competitive. I'm sitting here right now. LSU has just been absolutely underwhelming, and it's just disappointing. And it's beyond reproach. If you're an LSU booster or what have you, you are sitting here, like, listen to me, shaking your head up, down, right now. Because you've only gotten wins against Vanderbilt, South Carolina, another team that you should have beaten. You should have beaten. And you did exactly what you needed to do against them. You lost to Mizzou. You lost to Auburn in embarrassing fashion. Probably one of the worst losses that you've ever had in the last 20 years. Arkansas. You barely beat Arkansas. Come on now. How can you barely beat Arkansas despite holding the football for 40 minutes? 40 freaking minutes. You can't beat an Arkansas team 
You had to block a field goal to want to come away with a win over that team. Disgusting. Then you lose to A&M. Somehow, someway, your defense looks better. But you still can't get the job done because your offensive line is garbage. You've got a freshman quarterback playing in Kyle Stadium, even though it's not the home of the 12th man, as, as we've known in the past, it's still a tough place to play. And a and is a good team, but you managed to hold them to 20 points, and you can't score nothing but a touchdown at the end of the damn ball game. I'm sitting here right now. a and LSU has disgusted me this year. And I think they deserve a lot more love, but at the same time, they're getting run by a lot of different teams. Alabama's going to put up at least 50 on your asses tonight. That's where I'm at. They put 50 points on that backside, LSU. And you're just going to stand there. Hopefully you can score a touchdown. Maybe it'll be one of those moral victories that these snowflakes keep talking about. But at the end of the day, I wonder, and I've been sitting on this take for days. I think, without a doubt in my mind, right now, the Cajuns would beat the Tar out of LSU. That is my take. I've been wanting to break this out for days. I think if LSU wants to play a bowl game, they better be playing against the Cajuns. Because anybody else would be a damnation. I am sick and tired of hearing about the LSU of old. That ain't it anymore. Somebody needs to slap the taste out of LSU's mouth and make sure this team knows that they aren't anywhere near that national championship team. Roll Tide, what bleep you? That was over a year ago. Tell me right now that LSU is that same team. You, I don't see that same team. I see a team that's not one team, one heartbeat. I see a team that is 85 guys, 85 athletes, great talents all the way around, but don't have the same mentality, don't have the same chemistry as LSU. Where is that alpha at? I talk about it all the time. Where is that alpha at? If you can't get that alpha, you best believe this team is still going to suck in 2021. And if they suck in 2021, Coach O is out the door. All that goodwill is gone at this point. I think all the goodwill is gone at the fact the investigation after the USA Today report, it's all over. Ed Ogeron knows his goose may very well be cooked in the next two years. If he can't get a winning record next year, if he can't get this team back to, I'd say, at least an eight, nine-win season. If he underwhelms, don't be surprised if Coach O leaves and they go get somebody better for that program, better for that future, somebody that has more than a three-year plan from some guy who was doing sports radio in Baton Rouge before you took over. Because, oh, wait, he was your T-boy. And that's the bottom line, because CD said so. Back after this. I'm going to take a quick timeout, calm down, because I am, like, hot right now. But you're listening under the Dome with CD on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules, and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD, who will break it all down for us. All right, welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. I'm calm down now. I promise we won't get that heated, at least until something else happens with LSU, where players quit, all that stuff. 
but you know, well, we'll we'll, we'll kind of just step away from the college football ranks for a little bit because I want to get to it. We'll have Ross Jackson on in about ten minutes or so, but I want to get into it when it comes to the world of the NFL because it's Week Thirteen. We finally got to Week Thirteen after everything that went down with the Steelers and Ravens and that bleep show, and then had the fact you had the most ridiculous game of all time between the. Ah man, I'm, I'm still blown away by this. But we had the Steelers Ravens game, the Broncos without a quarterback, and right now. Currently, only about 400 points behind the Twin Peaks Pro Pick'em Challenge. You can sign up today at 1037thegame.com. It's free to enter. Make sure you get in on the action. Make sure you get your Week 13 picks in. We didn't have any Thursday night games, so I'm going to get to every game on the NFL schedule right now and give you my picks for the contest. I don't, I haven't looked at the spreads yet, but maybe I'll pull, give that a pull-up right now when we talk about in the league where they play for pay. We start off in with Cleveland. Cleveland taking on those Tennessee Titans. Titans currently five and a half point favorites in the contest. I got to go with those Tennessee Titans getting the win here over the Browns. It just feels like that's the way this game is going to go. Then we get to Indianapolis taking on H-Town. The Colts and the Texans squaring off. Colts currently three point favorites in the ball game. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and give me give me the Colts getting the win here. Because they've been looking good and looking like they're trying to secure a playoff spot. And, you know, we got a, we got some good stuff coming up on Week 13. The Detroit Lions squaring off with Da Bears, the Chicago Bears. It's two mediocre teams, but I think we can see the Bears get it done. But it's going to be a very competitive contest. Jacksonville taking on Minnesota. Those Vikings, 10-point favorites over Duval. I think the Jacks cover, but give me the Vikings getting the win. The Vikings getting a lot better as the season progresses. A lot of that probably because of the fact of the Majetta getting things done. Then we get to the Raiders, who absolutely got trounced by the Falcons last week. They'll be taking on those New York football Jets. They better win this one. The Raiders currently are about eight-point favorites right now, but they should win that one and cover that eight-point spread. Then we get to the New Orleans Saints taking on those Atlanta Falcons. Three-point favorites are the New Orleans Saints. Given the Saints getting the win here, I think they'll still keep that Falcons offense to double digits or less. If they shut them out, they'll be blown away. Then we get to Cincinnati taking on Miami. Give me the Dolphins getting the win here easily. And they're currently 10.5 point favorites. I think one of the biggest spreads of the week besides Denver and Kansas City. Where Kansas City is 13.5 point favorites. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later. But let's get to some of the 3 o'clock games. The New York football Giants taking on those Seattle Seahawks. Give me the Seahawks. Getting the win there. Currently, the Seahawks are 10.5 point favorites in that contest. Then we go to the Los Angeles Rams taking on the Arizona Cardinals. Currently, the Rams, 2.5 point favorites. Aaron Donald Donald might just know who 
Debo Samuel is, but give me the Seahawks edging out those Rams to make things a little bit more interesting in the NFC West. Then we get to the New England Patriots taking on those Los Angeles Super Chargers over on the West Coast. Give me the Chargers getting the win here. And I think it's almost solely because of the fact that it is going to be a trip to the West Coast. Coast-to-coast trips are way more difficult, to say the least. Then we get to Philly taking on those Green Bay Wisconsin Packers. Give me the Green Bay Packers. That should be an overwhelming favorite. Nine-point favorites, according to the spreads. Broncos, Chiefs. Say it with me, folks. One, two, three. Chiefs. That's where I'm going with that one. Then Monday Night Football. We got a doubleheader for you. Washington taking on those Pittsburgh Steelers. Trying to go for three games in 12 days. Steelers currently seven-point favorites. Give me the Steelers. Improve it to 12-0 without Bud Dupree. Hopefully no more injuries afflict that team. The other one is the Buffalo Bills taking on the San Francisco 49ers. And despite my better judgment, I'm going with the Buffalo Bills. Because, again, say it with me, folks. No one circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. So I got to go with the Bills getting the win there. And then finally, Tuesday night football. Let's see, moving back to Wednesday and have a Wednesday night. I'm a dynamite football. Wednesday night wars will get all too real. But Tuesday night, when my eyes will be focused more on what AEW is doing with Impact. That's Cage Strong South Tees for you. The opening line was 10-point favorites for Baltimore. Some lines are going about 9-point favor for those Ravens. Give me the Ravens here. He's going to have a little bit more time to prepare for that ball game. And that's my picks for this week. That's the picks to click. Make sure you join the Twin Peaks Pro Pick'em Challenge right now at 1037thegame.com to prove that you're better than the experts like me, RP3, Ben, Lewis, especially Lewis. I'm sorry, Lewis. You know more about basketball than us. But I think we know a lot more about the game of foosball. Because honestly, you're you're a little bit behind. Me and Ray are are the top dogs in this one. But Ray, I, I want the gold, sucker. So I'm coming for you, brother. Be back after this on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Going to get on our guy Ross Jackson. Locked on Saints podcast, Canal Street Chronicles, next. The famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United, I suppose. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you have a great Saturday afternoon. Appreciate you listening in however you're doing so. Be it through the free mobile app, the FM dial, smart speakers, Amazon Alexa, Google Home. Because now you get to hear on the Twin Peaks Hotline, our guy Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints Podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. Ross, what's happening, man? Hey, brother. Doing very well, man. Hope that you're doing well. as uh, Also, man, glad to be here with you this morning. I'm doing well enough, Ross, because I, I think we definitely 
are just like I'm still blown away by everything that's gone on over the last like six days. You have the Saints right after we get done talking, we will find out that basically the right. the Broncos don't play without a quarterback. They can still play without a quarterback. They get a wide receiver off the practice squad who played quarterback Wake Forest, and basically you had a high school game on national TV. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, I, much we, we talked about how you played high school football in Louisiana. Like, didn't that just feel like some of the veer offenses, some of those wishbone wing T offenses that you used to play against? I'm glad that you mentioned the wing T offense because that's, <laughs> that was exactly what I caught out of this game was the amount of those types of just, you know, pure running formations. And then, of course, you know, a lot of the wildcat focus and a lot of, you know, just trying to get the, get the, and this tends to be the rules most of the time in high school football is just get the hand, get the ball in the hands of the most athletic player right away. And so that's why you see a lot of those types of offenses. But yeah, man, the, the, the tailback, the fullback and, and wingback type formations and everything, which are a little bit more you can pass out of them, but not as bad as like the power tees and things like that. But we were really close to all of that. <laughs> it was just like, don't get me wrong. I love the fact that the game was like a two and a half hour game. Like it felt like I, it, you just blazed straight through that ball game. But man, it was like, what the hell did I just watch? Did I just watch like a high school game on T? It was like, it was very much unusual. You literally had 10 combined completions. I have never seen that before in a game. Yeah, it was absolutely, it was astounding, honestly, is what it was. And I mean, look, I, I think that it, it had a lot to do, obviously, with everything that was going on. But over on the same side, you know, their focus was, and unfortunately it wasn't successful, but their focus was just to get out of the game healthy and, you know, as healthy, I guess they got out of it as healthy as they could, although they did suffer a couple of losses. But, you know, they, they wanted to be able to get into that game, get their win, and then once they had the win in the bag, they just needed to be able to just get that, you know, get the clock down and, you know, hit all zeros and then, and then get home. Um, I think that that was a big focus for them in terms of just managing the game and not making any of the, the kind of silly mistakes that would lead to potentially losing a game like that to where you're playing against. I mean, Denver was so, Denver was so reluctant to put, uh, Kendall Hinton in that they tried to put two assistant coaches in first. They tried to get the league to let them use assistant coaches in the game. It was just an absolutely wild situation altogether. Are we sure John Elway didn't try and get in on that action too? I, I mean, that was my first solution immediately. I was going to say, like, you, you, the Denver Broncos might be one of the only franchises around the NFL that could say my GM can throw better than your quarterback. There's not a lot I can say that. It's kind of like Steve Nash coaching the Nets where they say, hey, you know what, my coach can cross your point guard over. It was a really specific situation, and I was actually surprised. That was my first one. I was like, John Elway's definitely coming. He's coming back. This is it. Oh, it was it was absolutely just like, come on. Like, please let us have this moment that John Elway can just come out of retirement and lead the Broncos to, like, the biggest win, the most upset win of all time. But it thankfully, the Saints just absolutely dominated on defense again. Cam Jordan, NFC Defensive Player of the Month. How amazing is it, like, the turnaround of the Saints offense? In the month of November, they've been unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, you look, you look at them now, they're ranked number one overall across the NFL in total yards allowed, number five in total points allowed. And, and look, in, in yardage, they've always actually this season been pretty high up there. They've been within the top half, been within the top ten for quite a while, but or at least pretty often. Um, 
but it was scoring. It was it was the points allowed that was really a big sort of issue for the Saints early on in the season, and that all comes down to, you know, penalty yardage used to be a big issue for them. Red zone possessions were a big big problem for them. Third down and being able to extend plays, things like that, uh, or, or drives rather, that was where you wanted to really see them improve. And now, over the last four games, they've allowed seven points, and of course. Yes, one of those games came against the 17th-string quarterback for the Denver Broncos, but still, I mean, it's still something to to uh, to, to hold, and it, it's something you can wrestle all on about how much this defense has improved. Even just looking over the previous three games before that, if you want to leave the Denver Broncos game out, or if you want to credit the defense for being prepared to go up against a system that they had 24 hours to prepare for, I think that that makes a lot of sense too. And the Saints did some interesting things. They kept. You know, each of their defensive linemen, uh, particularly on the edge, whether it was Cam Jordan, Marcus Davenport, or Trey Hendrickson, instead of lining them up at a five or a six technique, they would line them up out toward essentially a wide nine. Even if a tight end wasn't there, they would line up around where they would be if a tight end was in and they wanted to line up outside the tight end so that they could continue to, you know, contain and keep, uh, keep contain and everything around the edges and, and control the perimeter. And they did a really, really good job of that all throughout this game. What, I mean, I'm just, Again, continually being blown away by what the Saints have done over the last month. But I'm more blown away by what happened last Sunday with the Raiders and the Falcons. The Raiders just were absolutely outclassed by the Falcons. 44-7 to loss. How surprised were you by that end result after what you saw the week before? Yeah, I was really surprised about that. The thing that's really interesting, though, is as you watch that game, <coughs> excuse me, the Falcons scored 43 points, but... To me, that game was a lot more about their defense than it was about their offense. If you break down the scoring over on the offensive side, only 17 of those points didn't come off of turnovers. So that really was a game that was led and that gave them opportunities based on what the defense was able to do. Defense, of course, walked away with a pick six in that game as well. I hope that Deion Jones got that out of the system now. Um, and then you look as well as what that the injuries on the offense and all the things that they've sort of had to string together during this game. I was really surprised by their performance. It was a good performance, but it had a lot to do uh, with their defense and just being able to keep Derek Carr rattled by getting pressure with the four-down linemen, and they mixed up a good amount of cover one and zone coverage as well, so they played a lot of man and zone. And I think that that is something you should expect to see them try to do tomorrow against the Saints because Taysom Hill has proven that he struggles a bit against zone coverage and reading zone coverage. So I would expect them to mix in a lot more zone. They play 46% of the time, the Falcons do. It's among the top of the league in cover one man. So it is something that they, that's something that they feel really strong that they can do in. But that's also what the, what Taysom Hill was able to chop up last time that they played against one another. Talking right now, Ross Jackson locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. And I think obviously, you know, can lightning strike twice, especially inside the Mercedes Benz Stadium over in Atlanta? Can Lightning strike twice with the Saints being that good defensively? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a challenge, especially with him not having Marcus Davenport and not having Janoris Jenkins going into this game. Uh, Marcus Davenport suffered a concussion during the game against the Broncos, but didn't start to feel the symptoms until I believe it was Tuesday night, and then he reported it. I'm sorry, excuse me, Wednesday night, and then he reported it on Thursday. That's why he shifted to did not practice. For Thursday and Friday with the concussion, uh, Norris Jenkins had the knee injury from the interception return where he was tackled and kind of went over, went backwards awkwardly. Uh, so it's going to be you know Patrick Robinson again, but this time playing opposite Marshawn Lattimore as opposed to playing opposite Norris Jenkins. But Patrick Robinson is also questionable with an injury that he suffered during practice. So 
I mean, the secondary is going to be one of is going to be a big topic of conversation here. We do know that Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley are both dealing with injuries, and we know that Zacharias uh, is is uh, on injured reserve, and so they're going to be bringing up Laquan Treadwell for this game, and so seeing exactly what it is that Atlanta brings to the table in terms of their arsenal could benefit the Saints who are dealing with this injury, but one of the big things to watch is going to be the pass rush. The last time that these two teams played, the Saints, of course, had eight sacks in that game. Cam Jordan had three of them, but two of them came without Marcus Davenport on the field, which is good news. And two of them also came on three-man front, so it was also a blitzing linebacker that helped with that pressure. So that's all good news for what the Saints defensive line does because they may have to be the one that leads that symbiotic relationship between the pass rush and the secondary. All right, Ross, you know, we talked about the Denver Broncos game, and we've heard a lot of gripes amongst the NFL execs, especially the Broncos execs. Do they have a legitimate gripe about the fact they had to play without a true quarterback? Like, instead of trying to figure out a way to push this game back a couple days, like, why was there so, why was there such an insistence for that game to go on, but Steelers-Ravens, which was supposed to take place on Thanksgiving night, got pushed back all the way to Wednesday? Yeah, I mean, I think that it, it all comes down to the CBA and the roles that everybody agreed upon. Um, if you ask my personal opinion, the game for Denver and the Saints should have should not have been played if an entire position group is not available. But that's not the agreement that was made by the players, the, the association, and the team owners, or excuse me, the union. And so the, the the agreement that was made was that no games could be postponed for competitive purposes, only for safety purposes around the coronavirus and around COVID-19, not even safety purposes in terms of, you know, if you have an injury, you know, if you have three quarterbacks that all get injured in the same game, you still have to go to your, your, your emergency quarterback who didn't practice at the position. So they, they voted all together to treat this as injury as opposed to as uh, something more specific. The, the, the specificity comes with postponing the game about active spreads. And that's what happened with Baltimore was that every day up until two days before the game, there were new positive tests and there was an active spread. I believe it was about 23 players that all tested positive. It may be player and personnel that tested positive there. Um, whereas for the Denver Broncos, it was one player that tested positive and then the other three quarterbacks that were in the QB room not wearing masks or pulling their mask down to eat in close contact with that player the same day that he tested positive. So it was only one positive test, but because of contact tracing and things like that, just like we saw with Teron Armstead, Teron Armstead also tested positive the day before. And then because of contact tracing, Derek Kelly, the Saints reserve tackle, was also deemed as somebody that was ineligible for the game because of his his perimeter to, um, his, rather, his you know uh, surrounding being close to Teron Armstead. And so it was just a different situation where you're talking about one positive test versus 23 positive tests, but then you had a, you know, it just happened to affect the most important position on the field, unfortunately, for Denver. It was just amazing the fact that we actually got that happening. And it's like they didn't try and figure out, like, uh, give them enough time to figure out a game plan. Instead, it was just basically, hey, good luck because of the fact that y'all weren't out there wearing masks during practice. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that it, it, it's, you know, to be blunt, it sucks. Like, it, it was not a great situation at all for Denver. But unfortunately, the way that the CBA was agreed upon and the way that it was all negotiated, what they decided to do was treat COVID-19 as if it were an injury, and that is a part of it. You know, it's it's the same thing to where, you know, if you have three quarterbacks, like I mentioned, that get injured during walkthroughs on Saturday, 
and you can't sign a new quarterback, you have to go to your reserve quarterback, you still have to play that game. That game's not going to get postponed. So that's essentially the same logic behind what they decided to do here. The, the difference, the major difference between Denver and uh, and Baltimore was the, the, the active spread and the number of positive tests. Now, what's your expectation for the Saints tomorrow on the offensive side of the football? Because I think that's where like we're all wondering. Because obviously they yeah. changed the game plan relative to how this game was going to be played with how Sean Payton was going to do it. Because obviously you're playing against a like beleaguered team with no quarterback. So obviously mm-hmm. it was a lot more, oh, wait, we're just going to go ahead and, and run the wing tee for four quarters, which, again, not complaining about. But it made you wonder, like, are the, could they continue to do this with Taysom Hill this time tomorrow? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing because I think everybody's expectation is that they're going to go back into this game tomorrow and then go back to what they did two weeks ago and be a little bit more willing to air the ball out. But at the same time, in that game, they only threw the ball 23 times. There only about 26 dropbacks in that game, and then you have to look at the, the rest of that went, went toward the run game. The Saints have run the game 30-plus times for the majority of the last few games. So this is something that they've, that they've been leaning into a little bit more with Taysom Hill there. It helps that Taysom Hill himself takes about tw- about 10 runs per uh, in each of these last games. And so it'll be interesting to see how much the Saints actually don't adjust, but I think that breaking the tendency will still be something that could work to their advantage because I do think that Atlanta is going to do everything that they can to make the Saints one-dimensional. They want to take away the run game, but they're going to have some trouble doing that. The Falcons right now, in terms of total rushing yards allowed, are near the top of the NFL in terms of being one of the best defenses. However, they've only been run against 257 times, which is the second least in the NFL, and they allow 4.3 yards per carry. So they allow a pretty good amount. For, for comparison's sake, the Saints, who have been run against the least in the NFL by two carries, 255, they allow 3.3 yards per carry. So they're a much more stout run defense. It's one of the best averages in the NFL in terms of, uh, in terms of averages allowed. The Falcons are right above the, the middle of the pack. So the Saints can still run the ball in this game, and I think that the Falcons want them to throw it. They're going to want to challenge Taysom Hill to throw the ball. And while Taysom says that he's going to be aggressive and that he's ready to let loose, I think that the Saints will still do what they can to establish that run game first because I think it will prove effective just like it did the last game and then we'll open up opportunities for Taysom Hill. The interesting thing will be, how does the Saints' defense play, and will Taysom Hill have to play from behind, trying to catch up, play with a deficit, and then what does that look like for him? And, and Ross, obviously, just talking about the passing game, what has been going on? It feels like one man's been MIA in all this. It's Alvin Kamara since Taysom Hill's taken over. Is it more just the fact that, this is something I observe with Taysom Hill, it feels like Michael Thomas is the security blanket to Taysom Hill's Linus mm-hmm. while somebody like Alvin Kamara just is sitting there and he's not doing anything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, what you see a lot is, um, you know, even even down in the red zone where you would see Alvin Kamara get a lot of touches and most of his touchdowns this season have come from the red zone, that's, that's how Taysom Hill's territory. You know, that's where they like to run that QB power. They like to get him on the outside, everything like that. And so just the play style so far haven't found a way to coalesce. But I do think that this week I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit more of a, uh, of a concerted effort of getting Alvin Kamara involved in the game, not because they care about what fantasy owners are dealing with, not because of anything like that. It's just that if you get the ball in the hands of your best player, 
then that's going to, you know, those players are going to, you're going to win the game, right? You have more opportunities there. And so I think that that's, you know, it's a very simplistic way of looking at it. But I do think that the Saints miss the idea of what Alvin Kamara can create with the ball in his hand. You saw them design two separate pass plays to him in this last game against the Broncos, knowing that they weren't designing a lot of pass plays or calling a lot of pass plays. So you saw him get, you know, some of those pass plays designed specifically to him. The ball just didn't get to him. So I think that that just has to be some trust. And, you know, we saw the same thing with Drew Brees and Emmanuel Sanders early on in the season. Sure, the trust wasn't exactly there yet. And I think that eventually Taysom needs to turn that corner because if you're going to trust anybody on that field, especially as somebody that is going to draw pressure and that does like to hold on to the ball, then you need to be able to trust that running back that's going to be standing there in a flat ready to bail you out. He has to be able to trust that. So I think you're going to see a concerted effort to get the ball in his hands. It'll be interesting to see how they do that. Because, again, those, those short passes are part of extending the run game, which Atlanta has struggled against. Ross, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week. Hopefully after a Saints win, they can just keep this bad boy rolling. Yeah, absolutely, man. Looking for nine in a row. We'll see if, we, if they can do it. And certainly they're very close to being able to, plant, to clinch at least a playoff spot with this win as well. So an important game this week. Oh, it's a, it's every game's important at this point, Ross. We're in the month of December. Come on, man. Very true, very true. <laughs> but again, I, I appreciate it, brother. Absolutely, man. Take care. All right, that was Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. Yeah, Canal Street Chronicles. It was all Saints considered now. It's Canal Street Chronicles. Appreciate him coming on. We'll get to one final take before we wrap up this bad boy and kick the can on down the road. So take a quick time out and wrap it up next on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Keep it locked right here for one final take. Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. One thing I'm not a fan of is tier lists because it creates a lot of debate. Mind you, I've got some ideas for some tier lists in 2021. But I saw one yesterday that definitely drew my ire. And that was one about a Christmas movie tier list. And honestly, I like to consider myself a bit of a connoisseur when it comes to good Christmas movie takes. And I saw one that absolutely infuriated and frustrated me to absolutely no end. And that is the fact that apparently A Christmas Story was a B-tier movie. What is going on here, people? Why? What are we doing to where this movie is considered a B-tier movie? It's an S-tier. Bottom line. That's my that's my final take. A Christmas Story is without a doubt a S-tier movie if we're going tier list. If we're talking teams, that's, where we're, that's what we're talking about right now. And it's absolutely infuriating to me that that's what we're doing as a society these days with these tier lists creating all kinds of controversy just to do it. Anyways, that's about it. I'm out of here. I'll talk to you next Saturday with another edition of Under the Dome with CD. Who knows what we're going to talk about? Because obviously, who knows if we're, I mean, we haven't seen a final rundown of what next week's going to look like involving your favorite teams, including those LSU fighting Tigers. Back after the, well, well, we're done. Peace out, everybody.